impact of COVID-19. We all knew this was going to be a tough time. We need to wrap our minds around a painful truth. We're in the early stages of what is going to become a series of cascading crises. This is the way it's going to be. Getting back to uh, the extraordinarily successful country and economy that we've had, uh, that we've built over so many generations. However long it takes. Welcome to Startwell's podcast featuring innovators and entrepreneurs working through challenges which the global pandemic is presenting them. I'm Kasim, and for this, our inaugural episode, I sat down with my wife, Dr. Sheila Laku. She's a family doctor who leads the Telemedicine Impact Plus Clinic at St. Michael's Hospital and recently has been the medical director at Union Health, which is a new clinic owned by Telus Health, utilizing their own telemedicine app called Akira. She also practices lifestyle medicine at 180 Health, an integrative clinic in Yorkville. So I've been at a clinic called Union Health for about the last year. Um, I was hired uh, as the clinic opened in April of... When did it open? 2018? Um, as a medical director, it is a joint venture between Wright Health and TELUS, and now a fully owned TELUS clinic. And what's interesting about this clinic is that um, we are using the Akira telemedicine platform um, to deliver virtual care to our patients, uh, not only our patients, but Canada-wide 24-7. Is that something that since you began work at this new clinic, um that the practice has involved Akira or have they been separate things? So they've been uh, slightly separate in the sense that, um, as most of you probably now know, um, family physicians were not able to use multiple telemedicine platforms and bill OHIP. So patients could buy memberships to uh, platforms such as Maple and Akira, Babylon, for example, um, for a set fee, um, but it wasn't covered under OHIP. And what's happened due to the COVID pandemic is now physicians are able to use other private platforms that have been developed and bill OHIP and see their patients virtually. So that's what's changed over the last few months. We were using Akira in the past, but our nurse practitioners were develop, uh, delivering care primarily through that platform. So doctors weren't specifically using it uh, until this pandemic exactly. changed the, the um, accessibility of these platforms. Exactly, because we were not able to bill OHIP. So essentially, um, yeah, with this new billing system in place, we are now able to use any telemedicine platform or any platform actually that is deemed, I guess, safe um, and HIPAA compliant, and in some cases, not even HIPAA compliant. So I know some physicians are using platforms such as Skype, FaceTime, and Zoom. Um, if they don't have access to other platforms to deliver care. So um, I guess traditionally you've seen the development a little bit in the last mm -hmm. few years of, of virtual care being mm -hmm. uh, something that is being adopted in, in Canada. Uh, what have you seen to do with the, uh, let's call it the, I don't know if it's federally or provincially or otherwise uh, provided systems for telehealth in Canada? Mm -hmm. um, you know, how have those developed and how are they relevant today compared to all of these products like Akira that mm -hmm. you're using as a family practitioner? So generally, Canada has been slow to adopt a lot of these platforms. Um, if you look at the healthcare system in um, the UK and the US, for example, there have been telemedicine platforms available and in common use for many, many years. 
Um, I'll tell you a bit about my background. I come from an academic practice at St. Michael's Hospital and I was practicing there for about 10 years. So I started there in 2010 and just left um, in 2018 after the birth of our daughter, as you know. Of course I know. <laughs> um, so during my practice at St. Michael's Hospital, we did use telemedicine, um, but telemedicine was used mainly for um, complex cases and cases that involved, um, I guess, patients in remote rural settings that didn't have access to specialists, for example. So the OTN has had telemedicine around for many years. So OTN stands for? The Ontario Telemedicine Network. But it was built, it sounds like, primarily to, you know, use the internet to reach people who can't come into a clinic, not as a supplementary service or a replacement for in-person care. Exactly. So it was primarily developed, um, I believe, to service um, remote patients that didn't have access to care. Um, specialists would have, you know, special telemedicine clinics, um, and that was how it was primarily used. Um, it has also been used in the last few years to develop um, or to as a platform for multidisciplinary clinics. So one of that is called the Telemedicine Impact Plus Clinic, um, the TIP Clinic, which I am the lead for at St. Michael's Hospital. And we use OTN to de deliver uh, multidisciplinary care to patients that require more complex assessments. Um, and those are for patients in Toronto. Um, I believe OTN, and I don't know about the dates, um, a few years ago uh, decided to open up their platform to certain pilot uh, groups of family physicians and allow them to bill through OTN and see their patients virtually. And now, as far as I know, that adoption was fairly slow. I believe at St. Michael's Hospital, um, the adoption wasn't very good at all. And a few of those reasons might have been that the technology was difficult to use. Um, the interface might not have been um, easy for patients to access as well as physicians to use. And I believe the adoption of that was very slow. Right. So it's interesting if we look at most of the family health teams within Toronto, Ontario and Canada, very few of them, if any, were using telemedicine as a primary way of delivering Or care. any way, probably. Like I'm sure yeah. the majority of doctors across, let's call it Toronto, mm -hmm. just because that's where we're sitting. Yeah. Um, I'm sure most of them until this pandemic hit and they were scrambling to figure out ways to connect with their, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with their uh, patients. Mm -hmm. They'd never used telemedicine before. Yeah, very few. Uh, and that's primarily also because we were not able to bill OHIP, right? So a lot of our patients um, that couldn't afford um, extra memberships to platforms such as, you know, Akira, uh, would have no way of accessing their physician through telemedicine because they would have to pay, pay privately. And again, just for our listeners overseas or mm -hmm. outside of Canada, outside of even this province of Ontario, the way things work in Canada is we have a socially provided or a government provided healthcare system subsidized through our taxes mm -hmm. and the government funds, which directly pays doctors. Um, and uh, And so until kind of these codes that you're mentioning were introduced, mm -hmm. uh, doctors weren't being able to be paid for consults on telemedicine unless someone paid out of pocket, which is difficult to ask for, or has been difficult to ask for, because people already feel like they're entitled to this government-provided healthcare system. So this is really interesting to see that, you know, the payment model has been the limitation to a technology being adopted that could actually help people. Um, so what have you been, you know, your experiences kind of with Akira, I know it's been like a couple of years that you've been working on this kind of new technology platform that has a bit of a better interface and allows mm -hmm. people to use it. 
if you could speak to some of the kind of use cases you were seeing before uh, the pandemic and before Akira became something that uh, patients understood doctors to be able to use. And now, have you seen a transition? Yeah, so I was one of the first physicians um, as a consultant on Akira. And this is when Akira first started. When was this, like 2015, 2016? Yeah, it's been, um, it's been that long, I think. So this is when I worked at St. Michael's. I actually also did a few uh, days a week as a consultant on Akira. And at that point, it was very slow. Akira had just launched um, and, you know, there were a few people that came on and paid for their family memberships. Since then, Akira um, has grown substantially and um, there are many companies that offer the platform to their their employees, mm-hmm. um, a lot of insurance companies, and now it is 24-7. So even before, I guess, this pandemic um, hit Canada, platforms like Maple, Babylon, and Akira have been growing a lot. Um, and primarily, people would have access to it through their companies. Um, and the theory behind that is, is obviously if you have uh, great access to virtual care, um, there probably would be less sick days, less tri- uh, trips to the physician unless you needed an in-person visit, because we do know that telemedicine has limitations. Um, but since I started in 2015 to now, the volume of patients, specifically on the Kira platform, have increased substantially. We've got now multiple um, nurse practitioners and physicians working 24-7, um, and the amount of patients we see are probably... Oh my gosh, I don't even know what to say, 10 times the amount, not more. Um, Mind you, I haven't been practicing on Akira for the last three years. I started, you know, in 2015, took a break and now started again after we were able to bill through the ministry. It's interesting because with this kind of like huge, uh, let's call it kind of market response to the um, provision of care being digitized Mm -hmm. in just the last few weeks, it's, it's such a new phenomenon. I'm sure, you know, cases leading up to recently where people were paying out of pocket for these services were more um, for that additional comfort level of knowing that they can reach out to a healthcare professional if they need it. So, you know, um, families like ours with young kids where, you know, parents want to kind of like quickly, they don't have time. They've got a couple of kids. They need to find out if this runny nose is really something to Mm -hmm. worry about Mm -hmm. and they don't have time to go to a doctor. But now, um, have you, I guess let's launch into this kind of like how you've felt in the last few weeks as Mm -hmm. a practitioner using telemedicine. Mm -hmm. And uh, and let's clarify, it's not just audio connections, but also video that you're using. Yeah, so the Akira platform is text-based and and video, and it's fully HIPAA-compliant. Um, and I use it in my clinic. So at Union Health, all our um, patients have access to it. So when I'm actually in the clinic, I book slots as virtual appointments and use that Akira interface. And when I take Akira shifts, I'm seeing people throughout Ontario. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to see how many patients um, really need this service right now because many of the walk-in clinics, as you know, are probably closed. Um, right. A lot of their family, if patients have family physicians um, that might not have access to technology, not using um, virtual care technology, are closed. So these patients have nowhere to go. So the amount of, you know, cases of anxiety, depression, mental health, uncertainty, um, a- along with COVID-type questions around themselves and their families is is pretty much what I'm seeing. I am seeing a lot of you know, general coughs, colds, urinary tract, tract infections, things like that. But the mm-hmm. majority of it is around COVID um, and, and a lot of anxiety around that and what's going to happen. 
Right. I think I'm guessing, or I'm, I'm reading into this, but I'm thinking a lot of people are kind of like anxious about whether they have, you know, COVID or uh, not. Yeah. Is that what it is? Exactly. So, you know, they've got cough, you know, runny nose, and, and they're wondering if they need to self-isolate. So there's a lot of guidance um, and reassurance that has to go in and education that we're providing uh, for these patients. Um, and even though there's a lot of online self-assessment tools and a lot of reading that people can do online, sometimes they want to speak to a practitioner just to make sure that they are doing the correct things under these circumstances. So it is a lot of education and reassurance. And the other thing that I'm doing a lot of is, you know, counseling around keeping yourself healthy under these circumstances because we know that this is going to be a set amount of time we don't know when it's going to end and that's a, a question I get commonly is when can we get back to normal life fortunately no one up none of us know that right, um, right. so all I can do is talk to patients about boosting their immune system um, you know having some semblance of normalcy in their day yeah. Um, and, you know, doing things that are not COVID related in the sense that, you know, watch a movie, read a book, um, engage in hobbies that you might not have had time to do. Um, look at artwork and creativity, yeah. cook with your family. And yes, go for walks. I know there's a lot of mixed messages about self-isolation, what you can and cannot do. And, you know, this is not a podcast on, you know, COVID, um, you know, uh, I guess guidelines. But as physicians, we do say, unless you are, in quarantine or you know immunocompromised you should be going up for walks just stay safe and um go in areas where there's not a lot of people people need sunshine people need exercise um it is very hard for people that are cooped up in small condos for example or right um right you know or even shared living yeah. you know shared housing where you know they're feeling trapped because they're around other people and they don't know whether that's something to be afraid of yeah, there's a lot of fear right now, and a part of our, our role as physicians, I believe, is to um, help dispel some of the myths around um, what self-isolation actually means and what is safe and what isn't safe. So let's uh, kind of look into the, the future a little bit mm -hmm. from, you know, your perspective of what you're seeing, even though it's just been a few weeks, with your backdrop of, of kind of looking at uh, telemedicine's applicability in society and also as a doctor, how you use uh, mm -hmm. apps like Akira to mm -hmm. interface with your patients. Um, this isn't going anywhere. Telemedicine seems to be somewhat of a new standard, if not the, the de facto or what will become the de facto triage mechanism, if anything else, it seems like. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's been a long time coming in the sense that we've been pushing for the ministry to allow physicians to use multiple platforms to bill. Um, for virtual consults. So this pandemic basically just jump-started what was going to happen. Um, and I think it's here to stay. There's no way now that the ministry can remove kind of virtual codes. I think it would be uh, a step backwards. Uh, virtual care has a lot of uh, potential. Um, and, and definitely, I want to say that patients still need to come in and we still need to examine patients in person. But there's a lot of things can be done virtually and it can save the, the healthcare system a lot of money. Um, and it can access people that don't have uh, time to come into a physician. Um, and, and I think it's here to stay. And the great thing is now that there's multiple platforms, it's not just the OTN platform. Um, there's going to be great competition on how to make these streamlined. And right. perhaps there's going to be one that stands out um, and gets adopted. Interesting. Um, yeah, it may lead to a unification exactly. or some sort of a platform standardization. They all have to, you know, uh, it sounds like maybe up until really up until the last couple of months within industry from what i've heard uh people had been talking about hipaa compliance a lot mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. so some sort of like safety standards in medicine compliance 
Um, so maybe it could be a return to the standards that all of these platforms adhere to, um, but something bringing them all together to make the experience of care online not unique to a particular practice or platform. Exactly. And looking at how to integrate the platforms into the EMR system. So I right. know TELUS is doing a lot of work around that. And even on the TELUS platforms like MedAccess, we're now able to do virtual consults right through the platform. And this is something that's just been launched. Through the EMR itself. Through the EMR itself. I still have to test it out. Uh, I think I have a patient next week that I'm going to test it out for. But if we've got EMRs that have built-in virtual technology, we're not having to use three different platforms. It's all built in. And it's all transcribed into the EMR. Because wow. right now, you know... Uh, I'm using Akira as the, the platform where I'm communicating, and then I'm having to type the notes into the EMR. Right. So it's double the amount of work. Um, of course. So I know TELUS is working on this, um, and I'm sure in the next couple of months it's going to be launched where you can actually just do virtual care through your EMR. Well, with what we're seeing in terms of uh, audio transcription, automatic audio transcription enabled by machine learning and artificial intelligence, um, that whole process has gone so good. I'm sure in the next six months, no matter, or three months, mm -hmm. not, not like any of these platforms will, uh, will enable doctors' lives to become easier in that transcription process. Yeah. So for any of our listeners unfamiliar with uh, kind of doctors and how they work, I guess, uh, <laughs> Sheila, you could tell us a little bit about this, how, how it works. Someone comes typically in the old school, someone comes into your clinic, you see them. Mm -hmm. um, and then how do you make notes and where do those go? Well, it depends on the, the electronic medical record that you have, but essentially you would type in the notes. Um, there are some um, softwares like Dragon that do auto transcription. Um, most physicians don't use that just because of the cost and implementation. Um, so most physicians will just type into the EMR. Um, so that's a notes. whole process after you see someone to remember what happened accurately, transcribe mm -hmm. it or write it down. Yeah, then, or write it as you go along, but that again takes away from the encounter when you're speaking to someone and having to type at the same time. Um, so every physician has their their own way, but yes, it does take a lot of time to have to chart um, and then make referrals and do that. So there's a lot of paperwork involved in an actual patient encounter. So it sounds like uh, you know with the adoption of virtual medicine across the board, there's going to be a lot of positive impacts on the uh, flow, the workflows mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. doctors. Um, what about, what do you see as the implications for how physical clinics are used through this period and looking into, um, you know, the new normal? Well, it's interesting. So at our clinic at Union Health right now, we have four physicians that work there. And now during this pandemic, we have, I guess, one physician per day that's able to see patients and we're keeping it um, to a minimum in terms of the patients that are allowed to come in. But we are using spaces to still do our virtual care. So there might be three physicians in each room, in, in separate rooms, sorry, seeing their patients virtually, and then one physician bringing patients in. So I think it's it's going to be interesting in the way clinics... Um, it, I don't know how it's going to pan out, because as I said, we still need to see patients in clinic. Um, but it might be that there's a model for physicians working together in a virtual space, in a space doing virtual consults right. and then having a separate space for, you know, the physical exams. I don't know if it's actually going to change the way most uh, primary care practices are run. I think it's just going to be um, the adoption of virtual care into their practice. Now, of course, earlier you mentioned walk-in clinics being mm -hmm. closed. Um, what do you think the, I don't know, lasting effects of this will be for walk-in clinics? That's well, retail level street clinics. So some of them might not be able to 
you know, reopen depending on the costs of those clinics. Now, there are, and I'm not sure because I haven't worked in walk-in clinics for many years, and I wonder if um, some of those clinics are adopting virtual care technologies because everyone is allowed to do it. Any physician sure. can use that platform. Um, but because walk-in clinics don't necessarily have um, their own patients, they might not have that ability to retain people to come in. Um, and also right now during the pandemic, patients might be um, scared to go to walk-in clinics as well. I know we have, um, as physicians group together, um, and the ministry has uh, created an OTN virtual clinic um, to allow physicians to provide virtual care to patients that don't have physicians. So that is one initiative that has been started, and I wonder if that's going to continue, um, where physicians can actually use this platform and connect with patients that don't have have a physician. So that might be something that that continues ongoing. Right, and then yeah, I mean it's very interesting because a flip side of this, of course, you come from proximity to Akira as a platform to provide telemedicine, but many other doctors are going to be looking for platforms, mm -hmm. um, and connecting those people with not only platforms, but patients makes sense when we're seeing this kind of, like you said, 10x demand mm -hmm. in just a month uh, from patients looking for care. And we were talking about how we see maple signs um, everywhere on buses, billboards, you know, they're, they're definitely recruiting. I know Babylon, I've got tons of emails from them recruiting physicians um, to join their platform as well. So it's going to be interesting because the re uh, remuneration is fairly good for um, these online platforms. So I wonder if this is gonna change the way physicians actually wanna practice and they might cut down their hours in the clinic and say, you know what, it's more lucrative to work um, for a company like Babylon or Maple or Akira and I don't wanna necessarily you know, see 40 patients a day in my clinic. If, um, if access to medicine and medical care becomes something uh, that is more pervasive through this adoption of technology, um, and people have less bias about uh, sickness and their need to go into a clinic at the worst possible time, do you think there will be some sort of mass benefit to society? How do you think this will affect people's psyches if they mm -hmm. know that they can push a button and either validate concerns or get the medical care that normally they kind of seem to wait, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. push off going to the doctor? Mm -hmm. um, what do you think this will change in society? Well, I think it actually has a lot of benefit in the sense that, you know, people need a lot of um, counseling and the and um, maybe lifestyle um, advice. And I don't know if I talked to you about the other clinic that I'm working at, which is called 180 Health, which is an integrative clinic um, in Yorkville. Um, and what I've been doing there over the last couple of months is doing primarily lifestyle medicine. Um, and what that means is I look at the four pillars of health being sleep, nutrition, movement, and mindset. Mm -hmm. um, and we know that if any one of those things in your life is um, skew, you're not going to feel well overall. So right now, generally in medicine, we look at people when they're sick and try to help them recover. Um, but I think with this pandemic and what's been happening in the last few years is there's a shift towards keeping people well and looking at holistic and alternative treatments um, and things like movement and nutrition to help people's immune system, keep people's mental health, um, you know, working well, I guess you can say. People um, are suffering from a lot of anxiety um, at this point in time. Um, and that's a whole other topic on why people are feeling like this. 
but the work that I'm doing at 180 Health, for example, can all be done virtually, right? So if I'm consulting with patients on how do we improve your sleep, how do we improve your nutrition, a lot of these things people don't have to come into clinics. So they right. can take an hour out of their day, sit in their office, and we can go through all of this. And I know a lot of naturopaths are doing virtual clinics right now. So I think it's going to help people to connect more easily and not feel like they have to take an hour outside of their day to come in and talk about their sleep that they've been pushing off for months and months and months because they're busy and they've got kids and they're working full time um, and probably get the help that they need quicker. Mm. Most people are turning to online resources anyways right now um, and it'd be great if there's a physician that can help summarize all the research and bring it down to the basics because right now we're in a, in a society where there's just too much information. Even with COVID right now, you know, I don't listen to the news very often because it's just too much information that changes all the time. And I think right now, more than ever, we have to bring it back down to the basics. And the basics are fundamental in terms of eating clean, keeping yourself, you know, moving, making sure your sleep is optimal, doing things that make you feel well, um, and using a creative part of you that you might not have been using for the last, you know, number of years working in the job you are. Um, so things like meditation, breathing, um, things like that is what I talk about, supplements to help boost your immune system. And I think there's a lot more shift around that. Um, and people are seeking alternative care um, because they don't, just don't get that from the primary care system right now um, because we are so used to dealing with sick people and helping them feel better. So I think this is a great opportunity for us to look at, you know, humanity as a whole and, you know, um, how vulnerable we are. Um, and, and how, how we, we can, can take ownership exactly. of that. And how, how we might need to make fundamental shifts in our health, um, in our way of thinking, uh, in our way of consuming, in the way of looking after each other and, and the environment we live in. And so I think it's a great opportunity for physicians working in primary care especially to um, look to support their patients in that way and also, you know, work with other allied healthcare professionals. I've learned a great deal from, you know, um, a naturopath that I work with closely, Dr. Lara Spector at 180 Health, about, you know, natural supplements that can help people um, and about how to improve people's sleep and energy and anxiety in a, in a really holistic way. So I think things like that are going to come forward uh, more than ever at, during this time. Excellent. Well, it was a pleasure speaking to you on the mic. And uh, for anyone who's listening that wants to reach out, uh, we'll have some contact information posted with this uh, in the digital magazine at startwell.co. Uh, there's a link in the main menu.